everybody welcome back to talking in the rain if this is your first time here hello hi my name is Sarah Unjo I am your host I am your producer I am your editor I am your everything and I hope you enjoy this episode <laughs> today I have Jessica Heafy with me we talked about well acting specifically unexpecting which you can see until the 21st in Vancouver we talked about acting both in French and in English because yes Jessica is bilingual <laughs> we talked about doing voiceover work and directing voiceover work translating works maybe possibly not really <laughs> we talked about juggling working as an actor and being a mother we also delved into advocating for safe and inclusive working places and it's it was a lovely chat and i hope you enjoy so let's start with Unexpecting. So unexpecting is described as a love letter to female relationships in our modern world by the playwright Brownwyn Caradine herself. Could you tell us what the show entails and why Brownwyn might have described it this way? Mm -hmm. Actually, that's the first time I've heard it described that way because it's different from um, what's in the, the program um, for the season for ZZ Theatre. Um, and I think that's really uh, beautifully accurate. Um, the uh, We've got four characters, four women um, in the play, and um, it sort of centers around uh, my character, Joe and um, her relationship with her partner, Annie. Um, and it, it just captures, uh, I feel like that it captures all relationships um in those ways of like you've been together for years and um you've got this sort of loving dynamic but you kind of irritate each other in a nice loving way too and you've got quirks and stuff and it just uh when where where they both are in their lives and wanting to have kids together and stuff so that we've got that relationship like uh, more intimate relationship dynamic, but there's a beautiful friendship relationship that Annie has with her very long time childhood friend. And you really, you see where they are as women in their lives. But when they first get together, you see the little girls that they, that they used to be too. And so you've got these, this, these bubbling shifting energies all the time. Um, and then, and then you've got the, the fourth character, which is a much younger woman who uh, finds herself, you know, sort of still in the university world and finds herself pregnant and questioning who she is and what's going on and what she should do. And, and so, yeah, it's just really varying degrees of, of adulthood um, and relating to one another and wanting to bring in uh, a younger a younger set uh, and, and share some some wisdom with uh, with with her. Yeah, that, it sounds incredible. And so your character, Joe, um, can you tell us more about this character? Yeah, so Joe um, is the older of the two in the relationship. She's uh, an artist, a painter, um, has really delved into her craft for years and had some residencies here and there throughout throughout the world and has managed to open up her own art gallery in Vancouver. Uh, and the, the story does take place in Vancouver. And so she has her own 
art gallery um, and, and really drives it with her own work, but is starting to bring in um, other artists and just really feels this drive to also create a community around herself and be inspired by, by other artists and certainly um, sort of take in this new fresh energy from younger artists and herself is becoming increasingly recognized and, and uh, achieving more uh, success in terms of, of sales of her paintings and commissions and so on. Very much uh, loves and very, very supportive of her, her partner, Annie, who's a writer. Yeah. Do you think as an artist, it's easier to portray a character that's also an artist? Or do you think it doesn't really make a difference when it comes to you working on a character? Good question. I mean, I think that there are aspects of being an artist that I can relate more to in the sense of um, when you dedicate your life strictly to that, um, there's a certain freedom that you have, you know, as an actor, I'm going to go take care of my voice and my body and, you know, learn lines whenever. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. If I have freedom in my day, I can uh, get up at five in the morning and then, you know, do whatever. I can structure my day how I want. I'm not married to this nine to five. But on the other hand, I, I, you know, I'm not a painter. This is not part of my, like something that I, I certainly something I appreciate, but I don't do it. I don't paint. Uh, I'm not skilled and talented that way. And so there's a certain amount that, uh, that I don't know and that I that th that is interesting to me because then I get to research that as an actor. I, I remember in theater school thinking, oh, being an actor is, you know, you're you're being at an expert at general knowledge of as many different things as possible. So I love that. Every time I take on a new role, I get to research. So there's always a piece of it that um, you know, however big or small that I get to delve into and learn more about. Um, you know, if I'm work if I'm being a, a non-artist, you know, everyone else, <laughs> um, then I'll delve into that world. And I'm I'm certainly less familiar with the the grind of nine to five, which clearly comes with judgment because I called it a grind. Um, but yeah, so I think I think it just it's a gift every time because there's something new I don't yet know about. Yeah. Talking about doing research. Mm. So this is the first time this play will be shown in front of a live audience because it originally was an audio play. Mm. Um, were you able to listen to the audio play as part of your research or did you choose not to? Yeah, I, I did know about the audio play um, once I was given the the script. I That's when I found out it existed as an audio play. And I... I didn't listen to it. I chose not to listen to it. I was afraid that I would get limited by it somehow, that I would I would be brought into the world that they created and and get stuck in in those choices. Um, and so I just wanted to be sure that it was as wide open as possible. Um, so I didn't. But I'm curious about it now, now that I've been working so much in, uh, on the play. Um, but the script has changed quite a bit. I mean, it was adapted for the stage um, so that you can, there's a lot, obviously there's the entire visual aspect that that you don't get when listening to just the audio. Um, but 
and Bronwyn has has managed Bronwyn Carradine, the the playwright, has managed to keep fine tuning it and tightening it, and um, just enhanced all these little moments and details that because she's had more time to live with it. And I think maybe I, I don't know, maybe benefited from hearing it on the radio because you, I, I don't know personally. When after I do a play and I have you know a few months of retrospect, I think oh this moment, why didn't I think of that? You know, this is, it's, it's almost like every conversation, you, you, those, these difficult conversations, oh, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I say that? So we get this gift uh, of, of uh, an even tighter uh, script for unexpecting. Yeah. And do you usually, when you're working on a character uh, that does have other versions available, whether it be on stage or on audio. Do you choose not to delve into those other versions um, so that you can work on it and give it your own spin um, like you did uh, with Unexpected? Or are there times that uh, you also prefer to look at what other people have done with it as well? No, I have done like more research with other things and, and watched. And I think part of it is because there's more distance time and there's and 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 usually a medium because if i if i have access to books and films and so on usually they haven't just freshly been produced and so somehow it's it it breathes i have distance between it um but this i don't know this script is is very new you know the 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 radio play was done i think in 2021 um and so I can't say exactly but yeah that's what I did this time and other times I I'm yeah definitely a research hound <laughs> and here, yeah. Yeah, here I just researched differently mm-hmm. yeah of course and do you think it's challenging to work on a character that hasn't existed on stage beforehand like, no this I is think the- it, I think it's it, it I mean it's it brings on a whole different challenge I get to completely invent this person from scratch I can do anything that I want anything that makes sense obviously I'm collaborating with with the playwright and the director and and impacted by the relationships of the characters around me but I get to do what I uh, and when you play somebody who has existed there's a different kind of freedom um but but then there are certain things that you really need to fall into as well to respect the reality of that person that the actuality of of their lived selves that's really interesting and all right (laughs) what the smoothest transition (laughs) um so unexpecting is in english but you also act in french Mm. um and from my research i found you did your theater acting uh in the the acting program in Dalhousie University which I'm assuming was in English it was in Uh, English yeah how did you get into acting in French well French is my mother tongue so Mm. yeah so I I've only ever gone to school in French all my life until I got to university um and so and I even started I I was born and raised in Ottawa and um went to a an arts uh, high school where I focused on singing and theater. Um, and then I went to Ottawa University for, for a year and studied a little bit in English, a little bit in French. And then I just kind of took the plunge and went to Dalhousie Theater's uh, uh, 
to the theater, theater department in Halifax. Um, and I do remember my first year or so, everything was in English. Everything was in English all day, every day, in class, out of class. Everybody around me spoke Eng English. And I thought, oh, if I hear, I just, my brain needs a break. If I hear another English word, I'm gonna, I just, I can't, I need a, I need a nap. I need a brain nap. Um, but then, you know, the muscle, you, you, I, I got used to it. And, uh, and now, I mean, I live in Vancouver. It's, it's a very Anglophone city. Um, I still do theater in French and do voiceovers in French. You know, I still work in French um, and I love it. Um, but I also love working in English. And I think, you know, I'd be crazy not to, to be working in English if I chose to live here in Vancouver. It would be very yeah. <laughs> I do. I relate to the struggle so well, though, because I moved here from Turkey six years ago. Oh. And I, oh, when I first moved here around like 11 p.m. at night, my brain would just shut off and I would not be I just couldn't speak English anymore. <laughs> It's a special kind of tired, hey? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I and can't I know, imagine. Yeah. Like, especially when you're an actor, when you, like, have to be doing it and there's no way that you can take a break. Uh, because, like, with my school, I could just easily, you know, take a break from classes, take a nap. It was fine. But I feel like if you're performing, it's even more difficult. Well, back then, yeah, I'm I'm very used to it now. Um, oh, yeah. I think in, in rehearsals, um, every once in a while, I'll want to say something and, and like the perfect sentence or word and comes to me in French. And I just don't know how quite to nail it on the head in English. So I'll just say it and look around <laughs> if I've like connected with anybody in the room. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. And so you were born and raised in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. um, and you said you went to an art school. Uh, mm. The art school what was in French and then you said you studied uh for the first time in English in university yeah in the art school did it ever occur to you that you would be someday acting in English then yeah absolutely I I just wanted to act it didn't matter mm -hmm. I mean English French uh I, absolutely I, there was no other no doubt in my mind that that's what I was going to do and um, I think when you want to act, you just want to act, you just want to do it. And so, um, it's a beautiful gift to be able to do, uh, to, to act in both languages, especially in this country. And I remember sort of early on, um, I actually ended up getting, um, uh, a fairly big role in a TV series for CBC Radio Canada, which we shot entirely in English and entirely in French. So I was in Montreal and we would be on set and we'd, we had a, I think almost exclusively Francophone crew and bilingual and, and some trilingual um, actors who, who also spoke Italian. Um, and we, we would shoot everything in English, like a certain scene in English. And then we'd switch to French before we would change any of the lighting and sound setups. And, you know, we would, so we just kept flipping, flipping. And so that was such, I would have never been able to, to have that opportunity and to spend that time with those particular actors and artists in Montreal shooting this show that aired in on in French on Radio-Canada and in English on CBC. It's very cool. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, though. What an experience. 
Mm-hmm. Do you find that there are any differences to like the acting itself when it comes to English versus French? Not in the technique, no. Mm-hmm. In their different languages, the there's a different rhythm in the language. This uh, I, I the sound comes out of me from a different place. Uh, I connect to French and English emotionally differently. Um, so there are definite differences. I know when somebody hears me speak English and then I switch right to French and then I switch right back, they, oh, wow. They, I've, I've, I've had comments of like, oh, your voice really changes when you when you speak French. And then it's just, I mean, I still, it's still your voice. I recognize it, but it's it's not quite the same. So, yeah. Yeah, the voice change, that does happen. Do you have a preference for one of the other? Hmm. I don't think I do. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I work very hard at keeping French alive in my in my life because when you live in an English, predominantly English speaking city, um, and for me it's really important. So I do have to be mindful and deliberate about it. I mean, I get like probably more excited when I get to work in French only because I don't get to work in French as much. So it's it's a real treat. Um, but when I'm working with a great group of people, I it's just a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, now that you live in Vancouver, which I feel like French doesn't even really exist here, <laughs> um, are you able to find work in French here? Um, a little bit, yeah. Um, I um, Well, first of all, English, uh, French very much does exist in the, uh, in, in Vancouver and in greater Vancouver. And, and there are a lot of strictly Francophone schools here. Um, and so, and I have a, a, a young child who goes there. And so that really keeps me alive because I insist on speaking to her only, uh, we only speak to each other in French. Um, there's also a professional theater company here, Théâtre La 16e, that uh, has a, a full season uh, every year. Uh, they do their own uh, productions and they bring shows in from outside. Um, and there's voiceovers um, that I both do uh, perform myself, but also I direct others um, in in voiceovers and some videos um, as well. So um, it's not a ton, you know, it's definitely English dominant, but I definitely work in French uh, with some regularity every year. Oh. That's great to hear. Mm. Yeah. And so you mentioned you also do um, direct voiceover work. Mm. Uh, I read that you specialize in French language production Mm -hmm. and you've built a strong network of francophone and bilingual talent in Vancouver across Canada. Can you tell me more about this and working as a voice producer? Sure. Well, you know, I, I I officially, finally uh, moved here, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, but I'd lived here uh, for on and off for a few years as an actor. I'd come and spend a big chunk of time and then I'd leave to go to Toronto or Montreal and then I'd come back. And so every, with every time I, if I was doing a show or, um, you know, either theater or, or film and TV, and I would always meet somebody new in French um, and so when I moved back and, and, you know, changed my driver's license and health card officially to be a BC resident, um, 
I started to really sort of gather and collect uh, contact information. I'd get so excited every time I'd go to uh, my own voiceover audition, for example, and I'd meet new actors and I'd say, hey, can I get your can I get your contact info, your phone number? Because um, I, I, you know, cast and produce and direct some uh, work in town. And so it'd be great to just have you um, come in to read whenever I have an opportunity for you. And people are always very grateful for me asking that. And because I've been here a while and, and even before I started producing and directing, um, I, you know, I got to know different studios and now um, there are, you know, a, a few of them that, you know, just co contact me directly every time they get a particular contract for, um, for a friend, French recording of some kind. And I just send out the feelers to my Francophone people and uh, yeah, it, it, and it helps to keep French alive and build that community. Um, all my friends and Francophone friends and colleagues know um, hey, I, I, you know, to, to tell me, I, I just met somebody, you should really get to meet them. Oh my God, thank you so much. Wonderful. It's a gift. That all sounds amazing. And directing voiceover mm -hmm. work, I'm assuming is um, very different from directing a, like a fully staged play. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's quick and it's, yeah, it's very fast um mm -hmm. you know the the process leading up to it can be you know a couple months or so on as as the you know you're working with ad agencies and the client and then finding talent and in this world everybody will write you know if I'm doing a tv commercial or a radio spot the script is in English it arrives to me in English and I work with a translator or or the um, the client already has their translation department. And so I work with them to adapt the piece because straight up translation doesn't usually work. So we collaborate together that way to make sure that the the sort of the story, the message is still well represented in French. But also the challenge in French is that there's usually more words in French to say the same thing, same thing in English. And we're, when you have the constraints of a TV or a radio spot that's, you know, 15, 30 or 60 seconds, sometimes you need to uh, make some unexpected, you know, changes and edits and adaptations just to make it fit. So little sacrifices here and there for the script. Yeah, yeah. It can be a fun little challenge. Have you ever thought about translating um, plays? thought about it really quickly and no it's not, <laughs> it's not um you know translators go to school and they train mm -hmm. and they work really hard to it's such a, an, an important skill to develop um and I can I could probably do it but it would be an eternity I would you know I've had to uh in a pinch translate a page or two of script for uh for a, a commercial it's slow. I am slow at it because I really want to do well. And it doesn't come naturally to me, even though I can speak English and French, you know, beautifully. And and so I leave it to the professionals who always, oh, yes, this is so much better than what I would have come up with. Because it's not uh, it's not a carbon copy of this word is in, is in English. So if this word is in French. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's really interesting how you could be fluent in both languages, but translating really is different. And there is a reason why people study <laughs> to do the translation for years for years yeah. yeah 
Yeah. So I also read that you work as a certified executive coach, mm -hmm. um, supporting leaders and organizations in creating psychologically safe and inclusive work culture. Yeah. Um, I want to, my first question is, how would you describe a safe and inclusive work culture? Oh. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, that you've hit just an emotional button there because isn't that what most organizations are striving to do right now and, and trying to answer the very question? I think in the simplest way is where people can feel that they have the freedom to simply be who they are and work to their collaborate and work to their biggest potential um, and feel like they will be received and supported and welcomed regardless of who they are, how they, how they are, their background, their differences, and that their differences are, are, are recognized as enhancing every situation and so that everybody can feel safe and proud of what they're doing and who they are. Oh, I could go on and on and on. Just, yeah, that's a tough one. If you want to go on and on, you are more than welcome to. I am happy no. to to hear about this. No, I think, uh, oh, I mean, it's just, yeah, no, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that, I'm going to let mm -hmm. that, yeah, I'm going to let that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you've worked on sets for TV, shorts, you've worked on stage, you've done voiceover work. So you have a lot of experience in different uh, settings when it comes to acting. Have you seen, yeah, I guess, have you noticed that pattern when it comes to non-safe and inclusive work culture in different workplaces that you've been in? Um, I mean, have I noticed a pattern? They're all the same. I mean, they're either derived from explicit ignorance or implicit habitual patterns of behavior that we simply aren't aware of that we deem you know that we have good intentions at every moment wherever we go and so that's okay um so i mean that's the general pattern in every single life situation um you know on set there's so many people, so many moving pieces in and out, in and out all the time. And you have a lot of time to chat with some people. And, and then otherwise, you just see lives whizzing by and people just doing their work. And um, it's so easy to judge someone for what they're doing or how they're doing it when uh, we don't know what's going on in anybody's life. Um, you know, we are grateful when someone does something incredibly well and then can be quick to judge or dismiss or mock um, other times. And yeah, it's just harmful. And so I, I in the work that I do in terms of, of um, supporting organizations too, because I, I actually do this work with a lot of film crews and so on um, to help them create some safer workspaces is that to get become more aware of 
of those around them and the realities of life and, and the ways in which we judge people and the biases that we hold and our, our habitual biases. Um, I mean, it's, it's the same in every industry. It, it may manifest itself differently in a, on set as opposed to an office, but it's, it's the same. Yeah. That I never thought about it that way. I feel like, especially the film industry, working on a, um, a TV or a film set gets a lot of bad rep um, in the media. When in reality, the like the office jobs that we go to, by we I mean, <laughs> not you, us <laughs> 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 <I> folk, <laughs> uh, go to also. I would say a lot of them don't have the safest spaces for people to work in as well. But what you said makes a lot of sense and leaves a lot to think about how it's similar everywhere, no matter mm -hmm. what the job is. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone should be striving for a safer and a more inclusive work culture, definitely. Many of us are working to support exactly that in both the arts and culture sector and the corporate world as well. So. Yeah, it's very slow. And it's so wonderful when there are champions within the organization that are sincerely trying to do the work uh, and, and setting fear and ego and the fear of inefficiency aside so that they can have a great workplace where people can actually thrive and want to go to work. Yeah. And I don't know how to transition out of this very <laughs> important topic into my next question. So I'm just going to ask it. Uh, you are also a mother. Um, mm -hmm. Acting could be very demanding in terms of hours. And also uh, physically it could be really tiring. How are you able to balance both being a mother and doing this kind of job? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And I think that no matter who you are as a parent, you're juggling. Um, and it's a special kind of tired, the parenting thing. Um, I, uh, I have a wonderful partner who, with who, you know, we sort of work off each other's capacities, um, both energetic as well as practical. Um, and I did make a choice, a deliberate choice when, uh, when my child was born to, um, to not do any theater. So this play is my first play since she was born. Um, because for me, theater is, uh, an, an all consuming thing f during the rehearsal period. Um, and so I think that I didn't feel capable of being a parent and giving myself wholly to a play and do well. Um, and so for the past, you know, six and a half, seven years, I've only been been doing film, TV and voice and, and sort of, you know, directing, producing. I've not been doing anything else um, very much because of that. And, and the rest, you know, when you do film and TV, you you kind of know a little bit in advance what days, um, I, you know, I, I know what days I'm going to work. And so I can ask my partner or, you know, the village, we are very fortunate. We have some, some people close by family and, 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 and chosen family who are incredibly supportive, who adore Clara. And so 
we are very, very, we always figure it out. That doesn't mean it's always easy or that we have slept well, <laughs> but we always figure it out. And so um, last year, um, around this time, actually, I remember I, I, I thought very, almost out loud, I thought, if I don't do a play soon, I think I'm going to, I, 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 just, I just, I need to do a play. And within about two or three weeks, I got an email from from Cameron McKenzie at ZZ Theatre saying, hey, we're doing this play and we'd really like you to audition. Are you interested? And I was so excited to be able to to go in and to audition with these great scenes. And it was a dream audition scenario on top of that because they invited a few people for the role of Joe, the, the role that I'm playing. And a, a few more people for the role of Annie, my, you know, my wife counterpart in the play. And um, and so I got to go in and audition these scenes that I had prepared with every one of those um, other actors who play Annie. And so I just got to play and it was so fun. And I thought, I don't care if I get this or not. I just want to have fun. I just want to feel good about it when I'm done. And I really, I de definitely accomplished that. So there, there's my answer to your <laughs> that's that's so amazing it mm -hmm. makes me just really happy to hear simply hear how happy it makes you to be back on stage and mm. to be able to to do theater again it's amazing Thank and you. would you like to remind everybody when they can see you as joe at Unex in unexpecting Sure. Yeah. So Unexpecting is a ZZ Theatre play by Bronwyn Carradine. Um, it's going to be at Studio 16, uh, which is on West 7th and Granville. We preview on the 5th of May and uh, the show goes on until, I believe, May 21st, unless it's the 22nd. I think it's the 21st, whatever that Sunday is. Yeah. Thank you um, for that. I hope everything goes smoothly. I hope everything goes well and unfortunately we are out of time for today but I appreciate you joining me and talking to me about unexpected and also you and yeah it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you Sarah